Welcome to episode 178 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. It's been a few weeks, but the moment we realized we'd left a piece of luggage at home is still vivid in my mind. We'd been packing for days because we squeezed in a weekend visit for a family Hanukkah party a few states away, right before we flew to the West Coast for Christmas. The evening before our flight, after a long day that included a wedding and lots of driving, we disassembled and reassembled our luggage in preparation for the week away in California. We spent hours sorting through what outfits the kids would wear for each special occasion, and then I crammed all those clothes into a medium-sized piece of luggage. Well, not all the outfits. Ever since friends of mine had their luggage delayed for a few days while in Europe, I've had a policy that two outfits for the adults go into the kids' luggage and vice versa. Plus, an outfit for each of us went into carry-on luggage that was with us on the plane. This eased my stress a bit once we realized that in the rush to get everyone and everything into the cab, the kids' luggage had been left behind in our house, where it sat for a week until we returned home. Before we boarded the plane, my wife reached out to one of her childhood friends who has kids and still lives in her hometown. Upon landing six hours later, we learned that the childhood friend had left two very full bags of clothes for our kids at my in-laws. Close childhood friends, these two had lost touch in high school and only reconnected last year. I'd encouraged my wife to reach out because she kept saying she meant to reconnect because she knew her old friend had kids around the same age. That reunion, after decades of no communication, rekindled a friendship which ended up resolving a big challenge for our family this year. We bought new luggage to take home all the new to us clothes and all those presents. And then we were able to donate quite a bit of our kids' wardrobes to local parents in need while enjoying these new clothes we had so generously received from an old friend. Your challenge this week. Relationships are the answer to any business or life challenge. Close friendships from decades ago are sometimes the connection you need today. Rekindling long dormant relationships is a lot easier than making new trusted ones. Who would you be excited to hear from after a long absence? Contact them and say hello. You never know how they might help you in a pinch or vice versa. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest believes our most important resource is our humanity. As a performance and culture strategist, global keynote, and two-time TEDx speaker, she focuses on how we can survive work better by understanding how to fuel performance, leadership, and culture from the inside out. She helps leaders imagine a workplace where people work healthy and go home happy with energy to spare. She shows executives and leaders how to make healthy and well-being the foundation at work by sharing the methods for creating sustainable personal, and professional success in transforming company culture. Because health is not the goal, it is how we reach our goals. Please join me in welcoming Jeanette Brené. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me today. Jeanette, thank you so much for joining us from your office in New York City. Uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know you over this last year. And now we get to really interrogate you with all these questions. I'm, I'm excited. So as you know, this is a uh, podcast about building strong networks and the context is leadership. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? For me, leadership is about relationships. And it's about the relationship that we create through trust. And I believe that we create trust by listening to people and asking them more questions so that we can really get to understand where somebody's at before we coach, lead, tell them what to do, so on and so forth. Um, I grew up with a father who would speak to me in sort of like the same way as when I'm getting Simon Sinek's small wisdom words every morning. Like that was how my dad would speak about leadership to me. Uh, and um, I think what I realized about uh, my own sense of leadership was that people would always come to me for advice when I was a kid. Like the other kids, it was kind of like we would go on a way on camp and they would like basically come to my room and sit down in a circle and ask me for advice. And I don't know if I would call that leadership at the time, uh, but I can look back and see that I feel that leadership to me is about having some sense of wisdom that you can tap into, but not necessarily telling people what to do, but really understanding what it is they need so that they can move forward. Mm. There's so much good stuff here that I want to unpack. Um, I also love the fact that you went far enough back to bring us to camp. You know, sometimes you ask people <laughs> where, where they got to leadership and they're like, I was in business school. And I'm like, let's go further back than that, you know? Um, and you had, you know, the memory that you brought for me that I've never talked about on this show, uh, which is that I remember moments at camp where I was the person that our counselors are like counselors in training were coming to me and I was helping them think through things that were going on in their life. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm like, you know, nine years old and I'm giving counsel to the 15 year old and the 16 year old and listening to their love stories. And what did I know about love? You know? <laughs> so um, I think that's great. And um, it sounds like you also have a, a strong grasp on, on how listening is so key to forming those relationships and that, you know, too often we jump forward without um, knowing what people even need. I think that especially in a busy culture, it's so important that we take the time to slow down and ask questions because I think we have a tendency to focus on the end goal rather than the process of getting there. And uh, the process of getting there does include people. And that's one of the reasons why uh, leadership is changing so much, I think, because we are, we are um, poised to look at how we achieve our goals in a different way as we're looking at the future of work and leadership for that matter, too. Was there somebody early on who either demonstrated the kind of leadership that you're, you're talking about or who saw those leadership qualities in you? I do think that my dad really showed me great leadership skills because he was an executive search consultant, or rather at the time we called him a headhunter. And I grew up listening to him talking to leaders. Um, it was basically my nighttime um, pastime, if you can call it that. After dinner, he would sit down 
we get on the phone with leaders and ask them questions. And it wasn't necessarily just questions about their uh, leadership skills and their goals and how they would manage a business. A lot of what he talked to them about was their personal lives and their hopes and dreams. And I learned how much uh, we need to be whole beings to be great leaders. I think from an early from an early on stage, I met many of them. I felt like I could have a conversation with them, even though I was a teenager. So it became very uh, human in so many different ways. The way I grew up around leaders as a as a teenager, and then therefore adopted some of those uh, perspectives. I think as a leader myself. Um, and I also was an early leader. I, I think my first leadership role, I was in my early twenties and, um, I'm one of those kids, if you can call it that a 20, but young people who really was focused on a career from the get go and got into leadership in a department store. I was running a department and was the buyer and the management in, in that retail environment one of the things I did was I looked at some of the old uh, women. It was really old women that were in that department. I guess maybe today I wouldn't call them so old because I'm 57 and they were probably late 50s or early 60s or 60, mid-60s. So I should be careful about calling them old. But at the time, they seemed old to me and they could have been my mother or my grandmother. But I asked them questions because I, I didn't know enough about the um, the role I was taking on, it was new to me to be a department leader. And they knew a lot about it because they had been there day in and day out for maybe 10, 15 years in this department store, dealing with, working with the customers. So if I didn't include them in trying to figure out how to increase the sales in the department, I would just be going all wrong because I didn't have the information I needed. And so I wasn't concerned about asking them for help or asking for their insight. Quite the opposite. I saw how that really uh, motivated them to get super engaged in something that they had done for years and years and years, and they were probably growing really tired of it. But all of a sudden, there was a whole new spark in their way of being at work, engaged with their customers in a completely different way. And so there's... This uh, this is a good story, and what a good illustration of humility in leadership, um, and that you just saw a strength in asking them to participate, and you quickly saw how they like rose to the occasion. Um, a lot of people wouldn't do that, you know. That like there's a certain almost vulnerability um, to that, and they're like, "Oh, I don't know everything." but now people will know that I don't know everything. But you were like, no, relationships are the answer. Like these people know more than I do and I'm going to pull them in and it's going to be better in the end because of it. I mean, that's feels unique that particularly in that time, I don't know that 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 was something that everyone was doing. So where do you think that came from? I think it partly came from my youth, meaning I didn't know better. So I was, you know, I was, what, 24, 25 years old. And I was thrown into this leadership position. And I probably didn't know that um, that there was another way to do it because I had no clue what the answer was supposed to be. I, and I also don't think I had the pride of, oh, I'm supposed to know. And I think a lot of that came from my dad and, and came from his perspective on leadership. I really do think that that helped me 
form my relationship with leadership in that way. Yeah. And you know, what I love is that it, it reinforces at a young age lessons that you could take for the rest of your life. Um, I think that it's harder to learn that lesson for the first time, let's say in your thirties or forties, when you really do feel like you're yeah. supposed to know something like at 24, you're, it's clear that this is not something you, you have like a lifetime of experience doing. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like, where did that take you? Where, like, Take us through a little bit of your, your leadership journey. Like, where, where did you go after that opportunity? <laughs> well, actually, it took, me, it took me to a situation that was not as interestingly uh, leadership-like, if you can call it that. Because what did happen as well was uh, that the leadership in that department store um, put, put pressure on me to really change the dynamic of my department. And they actually wanted me to fire these, as they call them, old women. And since I see a change in them, I didn't want to fire them. I wanted them to stay because I felt that they were such a, a, a valuable asset. And it also gave diversity to the department. And again, I don't know why I was thinking that way in the 80s, but I was. And I felt that this diversity of age was an important piece, maybe also partly because the products, which was lingerie, had a diversity of consumers. So I felt that there was a good match between really young people selling the lingerie that was more spiffy and lazy and potentially even selling it to men that came in and bought it for their for their girlfriends or wives. And then there was the cotton underwear. And I felt that, you know, the little old ladies that came in and wanted cotton underwear, they should have a person that they felt connected to when they were shopping for that. So I naturally felt that the diversity of age was important in, in the department. So I got into a situation with management that wanted me to get rid of these women. And I told my department uh, managers that, and they thought I was going to go ahead and do it. So they went to my management and said, she's like not around. She doesn't care about us. And they basically so-called committed mutiny, I think. And management said, you have a problem in your department. I said, I do. And they ended up saying that, well, if you don't know you have a problem in your department, you're not a good leader and we're going to ask you to leave. So I actually got fired. And it was a really huge shock because I knew that I made an impact and I knew I created change within the department in terms of my leadership um, and, 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 and motivation and engagement uh, between the people that worked for me, but I also had increased sales, like crazy increased sales. Mm -hmm. So it was actually working. And so I was really in shock, but I think the, the management probably was up against the situation where they had pressure that I was so young and successful and it probably created some, I don't know, drama for lack of a better word, yeah, that they didn't know how to deal with. That's yeah. I mean, it's funny how, in some ways, you were actually going to protect people. They didn't expect you to, and I don't know that you leaving made them any safer. <laughs> you know, if if management has decided that these women should go, then like you know, removing you doesn't keep their them in their jobs. Um, I love it's it's interesting you're thinking about this in the 80s, but you're right. Like customers really want people they can relate to, and that's still true today. 
Um, but a keen eye for someone who's in their mid twenties, right. For you to be aware of that. Um, and, and it feels like that you, you know, there's so much of that that informs like where you are today. I mean, you're, you know, in your intro, we talked about you being a culture strategist, right? Like that part of what you're discussing there is there's a culture that they participated in that you thought was a, a, a vibrant culture that they should continue to be part of, right? Like you didn't think removing them made a better culture for the, for the customer experience, for the employee experience. You know, there's an awareness that you had then. How did you know that that was something you could package and offer a wider audience? Like when did you start to think, that there's a way to talk about company culture and particularly the health piece. Like when does the health and well-being come into mm. the equation? Well, I want to go go first to the next step, what I did after I left this company. And, and yes, you're probably right. These women were probably fired because that's what management had asked me to do. And I was resisting doing that. Um, but what I did la- next after that, I went to Esprit and Esprit in Europe and I helped them open their retail uh, stores in Scandinavia. And I learned so much about culture and marketing and the connection between culture and marketing and customer service uh, and, and the whole brand experience from working at Esprit. And again, we're talking the 80s here. I was doing culture in the 80s, but we just didn't call it culture. Uh, the, the, the company Esprit as a whole was so focused on uh, the customer experience and how they wanted uh, salespeople in the store to engage with the customers. And that became part of the training. It became part of how we were behind the scenes. And it became part of how the company was taking care of their employees. And basically, that was my job to make that happen and to develop that, both as a training program for our employees, but also upholding that as uh, the one who was basically in charge of retail for Scandinavia. And so I loved that, um, both the learning process of understanding the marketing piece around that. My original background is actually marketing, and I've always seen marketing as relationships. Um, I've never seen it as a, a brand creating a product. I've always seen marketing as a brand creating the relationship. And so um, and that product just was what um, signified that relationship. And to add to that, the feeling you get when you own that product. And for me, working in a culture has to do with the feeling you have when you go to work. So for me, that has always been what culture is. And what I then later realized when I was in the fashion business and I came to New York in um, in 89 and uh, started my career in the design business and then went on to the fashion business I had burned out twice by the time I was 39, and all of a sudden, both my parents had cancer at the same time. And I recognized after they also both died from from the disease that I needed to change something in my life. Number one, I wasn't happy anymore. And um, I also felt that this uh, constant push for just getting to the end of the day on survival mode was dangerous to our health. And so I wanted to shift how I was working and how I was taking care of myself. And I also wanted to create change in the work environment so that we didn't have to lose our health to our career. Because I had done that and I saw other people doing that. And that was really the big shift. I sat down and I wondered, what is something that I want to do when I'm older? What is something I'd be proud to have done when I look back? 
And what is something I will continue to enjoy every single day as I'm doing it? Um, and what came up was it was about helping people feel better, own themselves, be more happy, taking charge of their own experience of life and, and uh, career and all of these aspects of it. And I think partly it came from me seeing how many people, also, especially in the fashion industry, would just be in that world because they felt that it gave them something, but it didn't give them themselves. It gave them something to belong to, but it had nothing to do with them. It has to do with pride or it had to do with, oh, I can say that I work at so-and-so company, but they weren't actually happy because they didn't feel they were owning themselves. And, um, and, and so that's the health aspect of it. But the way I see it now is that this sense of belonging that we long for is not about fitting in. It's about being who we are and being acknowledged for that. I'm not saying free for all who we are, but who we are as in terms of our uniqueness as human beings. And that goes all the way back to that little old lady who was selling underwear. I saw the uniqueness in her because of the skills that she had in her relationship with her customers. Mm. Um, those questions that you asked yourself, I think are just so excellent. And I hope people go back and make note of them when they're not driving or at the gym and they write them down. And I think it's really a good reflective exercise of like, you know, what, what, what could you offer? What would you enjoy doing? How could you make a difference in the world? Um, that's, those are the kind of things that a lot of people are striving, like you said, uh, to be successful, but the definition of success is set by someone else. And when they get to whatever that is, they then realize they're not happy. Like happiness is not usually factored into the equation of success for people. And then you have people who have, you know, reached the epitome of whatever we as society think of as being super successful. And it's uh, some of the loneliest, you know, times or the most you know, emotionally difficult times. And figuring out that balance. And I think this piece about being seen, uh, the sense of belonging, uh, you know, people, yeah, being, being able to be, be, you know, I always think of it as like being able to bring more of your full self into whether it's the workplace or into this networking event, you know, into this moment, um, just being able to bring more of you and be seen for more than just like your business card and the title you have or the car you drive or whatever status symbol people are, are like relating to you um, would help people feel a lot better about themselves for sure. You know, you said you were about 40 when that was happening and it sounds like you were going through a tremendous amount of challenge with your, with your parents being ill and you being in this moment of like, I, you know, I'm risk at having this ill health myself because I've already experienced this burnout and I've seen other people go through this and you started to figure out what you could offer at, you know, was this something you just started to do on the side? Like, how did you make the transition? Like, you know, from, I guess, you know, clocking in somewhere and getting a salary to developing hmm. a business? Well, it, it is, it's a little bit, um, the story of my life, my life changes for me and I catch up because in this case, I was the VP of this fashion company that I worked for. I originally had my own design business and they had asked me to come on board because I was developing brands. Um, and they asked me to come on board to develop and, and grow their retail, uh, and their, and their company as a whole. And, um, so I had been with them for, I don't know, maybe a year. And when my mother died suddenly out of the blue from her, from her treatment, 
um, and my dad had cancer, they basically fired me because they assumed I wouldn't have time to do my job because they were they were going to, um, or I was going to take care of him now, which to some extent could be considered true. Um, but at the same time, I also felt that that was probably unfair to have done so, but they did. And um, that was, uh, that gave me the opportunity, if you can call it that, to really rethink why am I doing what I'm doing. In I started another company and for about two years, I had my own design uh, clothing company that I had, um, I had found these old track suits in, in Denmark when I was home for my mother's funeral, actually. And, um, I figured, Hey, listen, I can maybe bring these back to market. This is this so whole retro thing. That would be kind of cool. Let me bring that back to market. And so I did that for a while. And then I realized this is, this is completely different. So the, the change was basically me just being forced to figure out how to do something differently because I just really couldn't go back to the fashion business and say, listen, I just need another job. No, I needed a change of life. I needed a change of career. So it wasn't something I started on the side. I, I really came to a full stop pretty much at that time and went back to school and, and uh, started a new business. I started a new business. I had. I would also you know, say I don't recommend doing that, but I had inherited money from my dad, so I was capable of doing that because of that. Otherwise, that would never have happened. So every single day, as much as it sounds strange, I also have gratitude to my parents because at this, if if it hadn't been for them, I wouldn't be where I am today, and I would never even have been possible. But I think I also I would have burned out somewhere in the gutter of fashion. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that, you you know, the classic story of an entrepreneur is usually that they experience something in the world, decide there's a way to change it, find a way to change it, and then look for others that would also need that change. And like you have so clearly experienced this burnout and this sort of like unhealthy balance um, of not, not having the happiness as part of the equation, not having the health as part of the equation, um, that you then saw that clearly in others it's sort of like when you're buying a car and you suddenly start seeing a blue prius everywhere you look because <laughs> that was the That's car true. you were looking at and it, like for you you know you were so tuned in to this thing about yourself i'm sure that also led to you to see that happening and the other people around you and is that where you started thinking i could help people and i, I could make a difference in these people's lives yeah, it was a mixture of i need to figure out something completely different and then it was a mixture of what I call just keeping an eye open. Um, if you've seen one of my TEDx talks, you would need, you would know that I find a lot of four-leaf clovers. I even find five-leaf clovers and six-leaf clover. And it's not so much that I'm more lucky. I think it's just the way I look for things, and I look for patterns, and I look for signs, and I look for all these small things. So the way this all came about was a catalog that came in the mail about this nutrition school that has started. And the person who had started it was the person that was my first health coach back in 1990. And we're now in 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. So um, I went back to him and said, listen, I want to I join this school. I think this could be something. And so I think I joined, maybe it was in 2002. I finished in 2004 and started this new business. And um, so it was partly 
just being curious and, and really looking for what inspires me. And I use curiosity as part of my leadership skills um, as well, actually, because I don't believe that we can think anew without being curious about what's possible. And, um, and I think that that comes from this idea that if we don't keep an eye open to things that happen around us, we don't know where things are going. And, and I think that's part of me having been in the fashion business as well, looking for trends, always looking for where things are going, looking for what's changing. It's part of my nature, um, but it's also part of something we can learn as a skill, I think. Mm-hmm. I'm also, I want to sort of like shift into the the conversation here around relationships because I can see that in every part of your story that you have shared thus far, relationships have played uh, a big integral role. And often you were keenly aware of that and really developing that, not just uh, not just sort of like, you know, happenstance, but you were sort of aware. Uh, even the fact that 10 years later, you reconnected with your first health coach. I mean that's that's pretty uh, pretty significant. Um, as you were making this shift into this new world and um, developing this new business and starting really anew, right from the fashion industry that you had been in, um, how were you able to, you know, bring with you the people that you'd known all those years? Like, did it feel like there was this complete you know, shift and you, they weren't part of this or did you find a way to bridge that like developed all those relationships you developed that history and bring them with you? Or did you feel really feel like you were starting from scratch? I like that question because it makes me consider and think about how it actually big part of it is that I felt that health was becoming more fashionable because at the time there was a lot of this sort of like, Oh, health is all about granola or health is all about, like there was a misconception of what it meant to be healthy. And I wanted to change that perception that people had. So that was part of it. I I wanted to make health more fashionable in a way um, and make it part of how we feel better, look better, not something we're supposed to do because we're scared of disease. Because I had to make a really conscious choice that I was told it was only a matter of when I was getting cancer well, I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want to live in fear. I wanted to live in awareness. And I recognized that that meant I needed to understand why health matters. Not because I was scared of disease, but because of how I lived every day. And it goes back to me asking the question, what is something I'd love to do every day that makes me feel good? And so I approached health from that perspective. And funnily enough, I think a lot of my clients, especially in the beginning, were fashion people. And so I think the the relationships I had sort of continued because those were the people I talked to about, listen, you know, we're burning out. We need to change this thing. We're not feeling good. And this thing about being healthy shouldn't be unfashionable. It should be fashionable. (laughs) Uh I I actually, I'm not surprised that that's your answer. It's kind of what I would have guessed (laughs) because I, I imagine that you were taught, I mean, that you were developing your ideas around this with those peers. Like that's who you were talking to as you were sort of figuring out what you thought and, you know, asking them questions. Like, you know, you started this whole thing saying that leadership was about asking, right? And like listening to what people have to say. And so you have that, you know, as your sort of baseline skill and 
people were sharing with you. I mean, it's funny. Now we would call it market research or sure. market fit or whatever, you know. But, you know, you were sort of just, this is like the people you cared about and you thought you had a way that might make them feel better. And they were willing to listen to you because they knew you and they trusted you, right? Like it's it's funny how it's it all is true and it all works. Um the more you know how it works, it's easier <laughs> to follow these paths, but you are finding your way pretty well. Um, as you think back now, like, you know, this, now you just said, you know, 57 years old, you've got like 30 years of, of uh, work colleagues that you've um, done different things with. And are you uh, in any particular way sustaining and nurturing, not just your like innermost circle, but that sort of second and third tier out? Do you have any I don't know, habits or philosophies or practices that help you, you know, stay connected uh, in some, some way or another? I think I do. Um, I'm not sure if all of them are conscious. I think a lot of them are based on the fact that I enjoy certain things and I therefore want to share them with people that I know. Um, I think that there's a couple of things I do. Like, for example, it was just recently my birthday and I love birthdays. And so I make sure that I always say happy birthday to everybody that comes up on my Facebook, for example even if I don't know them very well, because I just think it's a nice thought. And I think as a leader, it's the same thing. If in your company, it's just noticing how are people, like how are you today and what's going on? And, you know, spending a little time just seeing people, you learn so much from observing people. I learned so much about my customers in every single retail aspect I've ever been in, observing people. When I was designing spaces, I would observe people and how they moved around the space to understand it. When I'm a, in, a, in a company and I talk to them about culture, I observe people and really notice what, how do they engage and interact with each other because it tells me something about how much they feel, um, feel it, uh, confident and how they feel safe. And if we're not confident and safe, we're not going to go anywhere in, 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 our, in our career in terms of being successful and happy at the same time. So I think that's a really important piece. It's like, I will talk to people and I will talk to strangers. I will talk to anyone anywhere and just look at them and see how, that, how they are. Um, so that's one thing that I, I do in terms of nurturing relationships. Um, if it's several tiers out, I'm not sure if I'm good at that, but I'm good at reaching out to people I haven't been in touch with for a while and just say, Hey, I just, you know, something came across my, my desk. I thought of you, or, um, I haven't been in touch with you for a long time. Just let's say hi or something like that. Contacts from way back, um, that have been part of, part of my life through all these years. And I never throw any contacts away. I don't know what it is about that, but it feels like I can always go back and I don't have a problem reaching out to people if I need or can offer some kind of help. Um, but I'm not sure I can argue. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I can say that, um, that I have a really specific uh, routine around networking. Maybe I should learn from you. <laughs> well, I have to say that you have some great instincts around this. And um, so I, I can elaborate a little bit about the birthday thing. I've been taking that one step further. Um, and I have realized that if my mother wrote on my wall on my birthday, I wouldn't notice it because I get so many comments. And you're busy on your birthday and it's just barely enough for me to try to like 
each person saying something. Um, so I send private messages to people on their birthday with a nice little note um, that doesn't just say happy birthday. And if I know them really well and I have their phone number, I'll text them. Um, I just trying to make it a more one-to-one communication. And, you know, Jeanette, it's been amazing. I've had some really nice replies and it's, it's rekindled some, some long forgotten conversations that were actually in those private message threads that we had sort of drifted off away for months, if not, you know, years. Um, and I've been on Facebook now long enough that, you know, I, I had a, I wrote someone yesterday, the last time we had a conversation on private message was 2008. And I still know who she is. She still knows who I am. We're just not really traveling the same circles anymore. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is the kind of thing where, you know, these are good people. And the way I think of it is if it's someone that I would enjoy hearing from, then I should be thinking about reaching out whenever I can. And birthdays are a good place to start. Um, But, you know, I, I think the willingness that you have to reach out to someone you haven't talked to in a long time, uh, not everyone has that. A lot of times people think of a person from five or 10 years ago, but then they don't reach out to say, something came across my desk that made me think of you because that feels weird to them. And what a miss, like what a missed opportunity to not, you know, to not act on that. Because again, if you would enjoy hearing from them, let's presume that they would enjoy hearing from you. And, uh, you know, people change careers all the time. Sometimes like you both started in one industry and now you're both in different industries, which may or may not be, you know, complimentary, but they might know somebody else who knows somebody else. And like, they might refer someone to you now that they know what you do. And I don't know, it just, I think relationships are so key um, to how we, to how we, you know, build our, our own, you know, businesses and our own careers. Um, do you ever, do you ever like host gatherings or um, bring people together or anything sort of that, that kind of I do of that effort. in my community in terms of dinners. And I do that a lot. And I hook people up, so to speak, as in, as in uh, introduce people to each other that don't know each other, but I think would uh, enjoy each other's company. And I just recently actually had a birthday party uh, upstate and it was an array of people from all kinds of different paths of life, but they were all friends of mine. And I just felt that a lot of them crisscross relationships would enjoy each other's company. And we had an amazing time. And many of them were like, oh, I, I met new people that I didn't that I didn't know. And now I know because we're going to continue talking because we really enjoyed each other's company. And I just realized when you were talking before, I think when I reach out to somebody to say hi, I don't do it to get something. I do it to give. And um mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's that's my philosophy is that my philosophy is to see people, then I will give something to them if I see it come across my table. It's not so much because I'm hoping that I will get in front of them. It's more that I'm just letting them know that I thought that this would be helpful for them. I, I think that's probably the core of me is that. I, I recognize that when you were talking about it, I was like, wait a minute. How do I feel in my body right now? Oh, it feels really good for me to think about giving something without expecting anything in return. Um, when I was, I, I used to write an, an excessive amount of newsletters when I first started my uh, my uh, business, or not excessive amount. I, I send it once a month, but for so many years, since 2005 and until probably last year, 
I would send monthly um, newsletters, and that's that that's a lot of newsletters over time. And I started blogging as well, and things like that. And people would always say to me, "You give so much information away uh, in your in your articles and in your newsletters." And I said, "Yeah, well, I think that that's that's how I can help in the world because my question always is, how can I help today? And then who can I help? And I think that's possibly how many people will show up on my doorstep 10 years later and just say, listen, um, I need you now. I didn't need you then, but I need you now. And they still remember somehow because I was somebody who consistently added value to their lives. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you are so nailing it. I hope people listening are making note because this is, it's, it's sort of living it. You're not, this is why it's hard sometimes when I have guests on who um, are just, you know, good at what they do, but they haven't really created a formula around it. At first, they struggle to answer the question of like, so how do you nurture your network? They're like, ah, I should probably do a better job. But really, I mean, the fact that you're hosting these dinners, the fact that you do introductions, uh, that you lead with giving and not asking, uh, that you're not looking for something in return. I mean, those are all qualities that will make you happier, uh, that will make your community and your network happier and will lead to, you know, kind of amazing opportunities that you probably wouldn't have foreseen. And to people who hate networking wouldn't think of it in any of those terms. Like to them, it's transactional. It's a, you know, what, what's in it for me? Um, they only go to their network when they need something. And it's a really unfortunate thing. Uh, but it's a mindset shift. And it sounds like that's something that you've had for a really long time. Your father probably helped instill that, a lot of that in you. I love talking to you. And I, and I feel like, you know, Jeanette, we will stay in touch. And there's so many more conversations to be had. But here's one of my final questions. And it's, it's one I really love, which is, you know, we were connecting a year from now. And I know that I will continue to talk to you. So we, I will ask you this question a year from now. If we were connecting a year from now and we were celebrating all of your successes in the previous year, what would we be celebrating? I would like to be celebrating that um, many, many cultures have changed how they take care of people at work. So work yeah. cultures. Yeah. Work cultures. You want to ha have a bigger impact. So you want to celebrate having a bigger impact. You know, somewhere, somehow, I, I look back and I, I, I see myself as always having been part of some sense of a work culture that was either affected by people who cared. Um, when my dad was was dying, I spent five months sitting with him, waiting for him to die. We we got to spend a lot of time talking about the impact that he had had in his life as a as a headhunter and and the conversations that he's had with different CEOs and 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 executives in his life. But, but what was really interesting was he didn't know the impact he had had, but he started getting letters and emails from these people that wanted to say goodbye and tell him how much he has changed their mm. lives. And the companies that I saw them lead. And I remember thinking, wow, these people are personally big-hearted, mature thinking, has, have a mindset of care about the people that work with them and for them. And therefore the entire culture and their companies 
become cultures where people feel they belong, they work better, they give their all, but they don't burn out when they give. Like it's this kind of difference between giving work your best, but not your all. That's why I call it a culture of care. And I do think that that is probably the one thing that I believe we need to nurture and nourish in the future. And I want to be part of that because families are not the ones that we spend our time with anymore. And they're so scattered. Families are not what they used to be. I had a very small family. I'm an only child. I lost my parents early. My family is my work family in a lot of ways too. And I think it is for a lot of people. And so for me, I see the opportunity to start loving work because we have a culture there where we feel safe, that we belong, we feel included, we feel we matter. And that's the way work should be. Well, I cannot wait to celebrate that with you. I think it's an amazing vision. And I would love you to share how people can find you and follow your work. Thank you for that. I always forget that part. Um, Again, it comes back to, I just want to give something because I feel that maybe somebody can change their mind about something. Um, You can find my blog at pathforlife.com and my website for any kind of speaking engagements or consulting or coaching, corporate coaching is uh, jeannettepony.com, which is basically just my name. And on all social media, I'm under Jeanette Pony as well. I love the way you say your name. And I wish I'd asked you that beginning of this so I could do it right. <laughs> hey, listen, when I first came to this country, uh, I was called Janet Brownie. And I was like, nope, that's where I draw the line. <laughs> no, Jeanette Brownie. I love it. So we will have all those links in the show notes, as well as links to your LinkedIn, your Twitter, and your book on Amazon. Uh, you can find that at ontheschmooze.com. Thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. I, Thank I really you, Robbie. I loved having this conversation with you. It just shows me how much you really understand how this whole thing about relationships work, because if not, you wouldn't be asking the questions you were asking. So I appreciate you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jeanette. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 178. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's show, as well as over 175 archived episodes on this Pinterest-inspired page. Reach out and let me know which were your favorite interviews. Is 2020 your year for business growth? I've got room in my schedule for one or possibly two private coaching clients. Email me to start or continue a conversation about working together. These long-term engagements give you the support and guidance you need to move to the next level without wasting time trying to figure everything out yourself. And don't forget that my book, Croissants vs. Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences, is currently being discounted in honor of National Bagel Day on January 15th, and National Croissant Day on January 30th. Get the book and all the bonus content at croissantsvsbagels.com. If you enjoyed this episode with Jeanette, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. 
Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting again next week. They'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming a successful leader. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.